survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. With me today is Danielle Day. Danielle has served in a number of leadership roles across senior medical affairs for organizations like Unicure, Novo Nordisk, Fractal Laboratories, and AstraZeneca, to name a few. In addition to her extensive background in medical affairs, Danielle also holds a PhD in integrative physiology. She is a certified yoga instructor and has her level one CrossFit certification as well. She's a former collegiate gymnast and aspiring weightlifter. She's been coaching for over 25 years at universities, gymnasiums, yoga studios, and in the corporate world as well. With this wealth of experience and a passion for holistic wellness, Danielle recently started Sea Health, which we'll talk a little bit about during this interview. I thought as we start to wrap up our first season featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and how we can better adapt, Danielle might be somebody uniquely positioned to have a point of view on what that might look like given her extensive medical sciences background and a passion for holistic wellness. How can companies not only pivot to respond to change, but how do we as individuals, as humans, navigate dramatic and stressful transformations in a healthful-minded way? So with that, I'll let Danielle talk a little bit about herself and her background. Thank you so much, Jen, for that lovely introduction. It sounds like a lot when you say it like that. And I have definitely taken a lot of different paths and roads throughout my career. Uh, It's certainly never been on the straight and narrow. I started in academia, almost went back to school to get my medical degree at a, a much older age, and then pivoted to pharma. But I've also been involved in work with the U.S. Army. I was a civilian researcher in nutrition for a little while. And I always like to tell people that, you know, if you're just open to kind of opportunities, you never know where life will take you. And I feel very grateful that I've had that path that's been a little more circuitous than direct. But honestly, aside from those formal titles and and degrees, I feel like I've learned the most about life through just trying things, making a lot of mistakes and missteps, course correcting, trying to reflect on what I learned from all of the missteps, and then just being open to continue to moving forward. And I think that that's that's the thing I like to hang my hat on at the end of the day. Wow. Well said. I like that. Uh, I certainly have my own fair share of learnings and still trying to figure it out. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. I want to rewind a little bit to over a year ago at the start of the pandemic. At that time, Danielle was still at Unicure, She tells me about her experience leading up to the world shutting down. Isn't it funny that this is now going to be one of those things where we ask each other, do you remember where you were when, you know, and and I absolutely do. 
As part of my role, I was still working for, for Unicure at the time, and um, a lot of my job involved travel, a ton of travel. And I was actually in the field. Um, I had just finished a meeting with a physician and one of my MSLs that was on my team. And when we came out of the meeting, I had all of these missed calls and kind of this urgent, you know, you need to call into the office. I called in and they said, well, we're going to be work from home for the next couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, you know, of course, part of me was like, this is great <laughs> work from home, you know. As time went on, obviously, we realized, wow, this is this is not going away. And again, with my job being, you know, probably more than 70% travel at that point, I had a conference I was supposed to go to in Milan, another one in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I was supposed to be doing a ton of world travel and, you know, just week after week and month after month, we were kind of like, well, this is going away now, this is going away. And we're still staring at these same four walls and this light box in front of us that has these two degree, <laughs> two dimensional faces staring back at us. It was a huge change for, for me and the lifestyle that I was leading where I was on a plane, you know, every other week. But, and I know that's true for a lot of people in our field too. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I'm not sure many of us had an idea how long it would go on for. But as the weeks of lockdown stretched on, a new reality set in. Danielle relays what the realization was like for her at the time when she was at Unicure. It really was twofold. For the organization, and I think many people can relate to this, we got more busy and it felt like the days were even fuller. And there was definitely this sense of urgency. How do we accomplish everything that we were supposed to accomplish? And we were in a pre-launch period setting up to launch one of the first gene therapies for hemophilia. So creating you know, this large educational platform, trying to get the physicians and the patients and the market ready for something completely new and innovative. And how do you do that when you can't see people and talk to them and do presentations on the science and the education and the clinical impact. And, you know, it's just not the same when you can't be face-to-face with these individuals and hearing about their concerns or their questions. So the practical pivots in, in that regard were kind of working harder, working more to try to figure out how to pivot and how to create innovation out of this. So like everyone, we had to move a lot of our education pieces to a digital One thing that I'm particularly proud of that we did was we started using social media, which we hadn't really been using before, to deliver education. And that seemed to have a very big impact. It was actually recognized on the stage of one of the largest conferences in the world by a top key opinion leader. So, you know, that was a successful pivot. But everyone has kind of had to do those types of things. I think on the personal side and also as a leader and a manager of my team, the personal piece to this pivot was so much more challenging. And as a leader, trying to balance the pressure that was coming from above with, we still have to get all of this stuff done, even though we can't do it in a traditional way, in the way that we've always been trained to do. But then there was also this other piece below me of these individuals who were, again, their job was defined by traveling, by being out and meeting people and having that face-to-face time And what's the visibility now of their impact on the company? And so their concerns were, am I still going to have a job? Are they still going to keep people like us? Because we can't do the thing that you were paying us for, which was to fly around the country and gather insights and, and talk to physicians. So there's a lot of fear and anxiety on that side. And these people have families that, you know, a lot of times they're the sole supporters of, of those families. I've always been a believer in, in more, um, 
vulnerability in leadership. And I, I really love the work of Brene Brown in this regard too. So I feel like I had a good foundation to start from on that, where I liked to have the kind of relationship with my employees where I would ask them first, you know, how are you doing? And this was even pre-pandemic. And, and there have been situations where I would be frustrated by somebody's performance and want to go into a meeting saying, you know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you getting this done? But then taking a step back and being like, this person is a driver and an achiever. If they're not getting something done, there must be something else going on here. So I'm going to actually start with that. How are you? And there's been circumstances where I've done that and been blown away by the response. Like, oh my gosh, actually, this is all the stuff that's going on with my family and in my personal life right now. Thank you for asking. And then I'm like, oh gosh, I feel like, a <laughs> thank God I didn't start with the, why are you getting your stuff done? It really magnified after the pandemic where now there's no clear line between work and home life. And it's all blended together. Everyone's juggling. You had a podcast recently talking about how this has impacted women in particular. And I think um, we, we've seen that as well. But for everybody, you know, kids running in on Zoom calls and you just kind of have to get used to that. And it's just a, a different environment. For me personally, as a leader, it was leaning in even more to that vulnerability side that let's just be human. Let's show that we're all going through this together. Work is important, yes, but what's really most important right now is health, number one. And, and again, this has been a huge opportunity for us if we take that opportunity to focus on health. And then family and, and mental health and just being okay and, and trying to let go of what we can't control. One thing I want to point out is Danielle's effort to ask the question, how are you? Many of my guests have touched upon this for a reason, especially now. As a leader, it can be difficult to step outside of a task and look at your employee holistically. How are they doing as human beings? During COVID, however, that checking in on yourself and your employee's has been a necessity. And I've done a lot more reading about leadership during this time period because this this truly is the definition of leading through change. And a lot of leaders maybe don't know how to change and how to pivot. And the first knee-jerk reaction when all of this happened was to kind of ask for more from people. You know, well, you're home, so we should be able to get a hold of you every single hour of the day. And, you know, that was absolutely the wrong approach. And and when, and even for myself, I mean, I also felt kind of the anxiety and urge to continue to perform and, and show that I was contributing and to show up on these calls. And I mean, even now I accept every meeting that's ever sent to me without really reflecting and thinking like, do I really need to be in this meeting? Can I ask the person who's, you know, sending this invite, whether this is crucial for me to be here because we all talk about how we go from call to call to call throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, you've gotten nothing done. So you've got an inbox full of hundreds of emails and you have all of the work and all of the action items that have come from those meetings. And now your only option is to do them in the hours, quote unquote, after work. So, you know, work-life balance is out the window and it's also doing the exact opposite of what we need to, need to be doing right now, which is focusing on both of our, our physical and mental health. So. I've been trying to encourage people, you know, if you have a break, go out for a walk. And I do the same for myself. Like, oh my gosh, I have 20, I have, I have 30 minutes where I don't have a meeting scheduled. I could sit and try to get something done there. But honestly, 
I am more productive if I get outside, walk around the block, and then come back and be prepared for what's happening next. So those are the kinds of things that I hope we see leaders and corporations focusing on more is trying to say, you know what, the work is going to get done. And what we really need to focus on now is how do we create space for people to live and be healthy and be present. Along the lines of reflection and growth, Danielle evolved not only professionally, but also personally. She started several new ventures during COVID, such as changing companies and starting her own, and discusses how COVID has really shaped her perspective on purpose. Again, one of the benefits, and I'm sure people will maybe cringe a little bit to hear that I think there, there is actually a benefit to what's happened to us over the last year. I truly try to see the lesson and and everything that's handed to us, particularly the most challenging things. And I've had a lot of personal challenges throughout my life. We have this joke at home, actually. I don't know if it's the, if I'm allowed to say brand names, but um, (laughs) there, I think it's the state farm insurance commercial where they say, you know, we know a lot because we've seen a lot. And my husband always looks at me and goes, (laughs) you know, some, you know what, because you've seen some, you know what. (laughs) I'm like, that is probably an accurate description of me. Oh, that's great. So, yep. so having, you know, been through a number of different things throughout my life, both personally and professionally, that, you know, a lot of things that blindsided me, a lot of things that, you know, were actually traumatic, you kind of have to develop this resiliency or you're going to be really stuck. And I think the benefit in this last year was if you were open to it and could find the way a way to take it, there was a lot of opportunity for reflection for some of that inner work that we don't really get time to do and to think about you know well we have no idea how long this change is going to you know endure and how long the world is going to be this way so what do i really want to do with my life and what how do i really want to show up and what challenges or what new things do i want to learn I took a watercolor painting class that was being offered through an Instagram. Oh, I have zero, like, awesome. zero artistic <laughs> what, ability whatsoever. What but a I was good like, idea. this thing's kind of hmm. cool. And so <laughs> it was offered like once a week. And, you know, it was doing something like that for me was it just opened up my mind to, well, if I can try something like that, then I could try anything really. And so the the job change was was twofold. I mean, there were some practical aspects to that too. I, I really loved my team um, at Unicure. I loved what we were doing and we were all very excited to, to launch a new product. But, you know, the company had to make an important business decision and ended up selling the product to another company. So it was very much not a, you know, per, a personal decision in terms of, um, you know, I appreciated everything that I learned there and all the opportunities I had there. But professionally, it made sense for me to be somewhere where I could have more of an impact in medical affairs. Every relationship was was maintained throughout those companies. And, you know, it was a lovely transition. I got a lot of support on both sides, both leaving a, a former role and, and entering a new role. And so it was a great opportunity to challenge myself. And, and it was a challenge. It was outside my comfort zone. Immunology was not in my background. And it's it's been tough. But I truly believe that we only continue to grow when we are outside of our comfort zone. I don't know that I'd want to be outside my comfort zone all the time. I think mm. there's a balance there. Yeah, I think you're right. Balance is good. You figure things out and you start to get comfortable and and then you're kind of on autopilot sometimes, which also isn't great. So then it's like, well, I need something. And it could be something in your current role that you can just ask for more of a challenge or more 
opportunity to try something new. In this case, it ended up being, you know, I, I needed a new role, a new company, a new, a new environment. And my old boss was actually great. She said, you know, some roles are a springboard and some are a landing pad. And she said, I hope this, this was a springboard for you to, to get you to that next level and to do something new and even more challenging. And I, I loved that. I thought that was such a great response and, and also showed a lot of support from, from her to me, even though I was leaving her. <laughs> But the other piece was with Sea Health. You know, I started to think about how my favorite part of my job is helping people. And that's why I really loved being a manager, stepping into these leadership roles, having that opportunity to have those vulnerable conversations with people, not just help them develop professionally. Because honestly, most of the people that work for me are way smarter than I am. And I think that's how it should be. But if there's a way that I can help them with the challenges of, what the world, their environment brings to them so that they can be at their best and perform the way they want to perform. And that's where I feel like my experience as an athlete, as a yoga instructor, as someone, again, who has struggled a lot and had to do a lot of self-reflection, introspection, honestly, therapy, getting support and help to understand how our minds can be our biggest enemies. And yet they're also the one thing that we have control over. So how do you adapt and become resilient to situations that are thrown at you that appear to be out of your control? Well, the only control we have is how we react to those situations. And the pandemic was a huge piece of that. And again, I had a lot of people calling me for professional advice. I love mentoring and I will answer the phone anytime someone calls and says, can you help me? I'm really struggling. And it always feels so good to me. And I feel like it's something that I'm meant to do it. <laughs> and and I really love it. So I thought, well, how could I broaden my reach with this? Because I would really like to help more people. And the other thing about me is I'm very transparent about all of the things that I have not done well and the mistakes that I've made and the times that I have been laid off or reprimanded or have made a decision that hurt somebody. Like I love to share those stories, not because I'm proud of them, but because I'm proud of the way that I've gone through them and come out on the other side and said, I will own my piece in this, but I am not going to let it define me. And I am going to think about what is the lesson here? What did I learn? And how can I help somebody else who's going through the same thing that might feel shame or guilt or fear to even talk about this? And 99% of the time, if I talk about something that's very uncomfortable, someone will look at me and say, I've never told anybody this, but that happened to me too, or I'm struggling with this as well. And it's like, yes, we have to remember that we are all connected. We're all humans. We're likely having very similar experiences and there is nothing to be ashamed of. So to me, that was a driving force to think about what could I do outside of my role in, in the pharmaceutical world, which I love and I love the in intellectual stimulation. I love helping patients and I love leading people. But again, with the pandemic and this focus on health and how a lot of people who were really unhealthy are suffering the most from coronavirus, I thought this could be an opportunity to spread more education on how do we take care of ourselves, both with movement, with mindfulness, and with the way we interact with one another. Something I read about Danielle's company, Sea Health, that really stuck out to me as one of its core objectives is that the company seeks to provide holistic self-care and boundary-setting strategies for employees to maintain mental and physical health practices during periods of stress. Well, 
I think we all can agree that the pandemic is a great example of a highly stressful period. Danielle tells me more about her work at Sea Health. I will admit that my lens on this definitely has kind of a female um, <laughs> bend. I tend to feel very passionate about the different roles that women play. Even within science, I've always been studying sex differences and how women and men respond differently to stimuli and drugs and how disease presents differently. Um, so that remains a strong passion of mine. And wow. And a whole other podcast topic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, oh man. Wow. That will not be like two hours. I can't stop talking about that. But <laughs> I will say when I thought about some of these things, boundary settings, I think for women in particular tend to be challenging and traditionally, and I, and things are absolutely changing and it's wonderful to see men playing more of a, a primary role in family, but traditionally women have been the ones who are not only taking care of their children, but also elderly parents and then working outside of the home and then keeping the home. So, you know, again, we're, we're moving away from that. And I want to acknowledge that men are doing a great job in this world right now of, of being open to hearing about that and to changing and to contributing more and to saying like, let's, let's correct this and kind of swing the pendulum a little bit more the other way. Traditionally though, I mean, for anyone who's had multiple responsibilities, boundary setting is is a huge challenge because how do you finish your work day and then switch to taking care of your family or the laundry or the bills or whatever it is? And then the next thing you know, well, you got to make dinner because everyone has to eat and then it's time to go to bed. So where is the time for you in there? And if you go to bed exhausted every single night or don't sleep well, which is even worse, and then you wake up after four hours of sleep and have to do it all over again, I mean, this is going to take a toll on your body, your mind, and the way you're able to show up for other people. And this has been you know, used over and over again, this example that they talk about when you sit on an airplane and they say, you know, always put your oxygen mask on first before helping another person. I mean, I've never been in a situation where those oxygen masks have, have dropped down. And I always wonder like, what would be my gut instinct? <laughs> would I grab it and put it on my face first or would I help somebody else? And it's an interesting thing to think about. But I think in the in the real world and the things that we're faced with on a day-to-day -day basis, we have to say, I mean, I think the data would support this. Moms in particular and women in particular do tend to give of themselves before they take care of themselves. And this has become even more apparent. And you had, again, you had a podcast recently that talked about this, that women are, are suffering even more as a result of this pandemic because of the multiple roles that they've had to play. And more of them are leaving the workforce and more of the burden has fallen to them. So boundary setting becomes incredibly important. And to be able to get this message across that you really can't show up the best way you possibly can for other people, unless you have taken care of your own needs first. And I know for some reason it's counterintuitive to humans, but it's not counterintuitive to any other species. All of these other animal species that are out there, I mean, the moms will abandon their kids. Not that I'm saying you should do this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it is interesting. Like what have we created as humans that we're just like, oh, you're a bad person if you take an hour to yourself to lock yourself in the bathroom and take a bubble bath or to say, you know what? Somebody else needs to take care of this right now. Mommy needs to go for a run or I need to go have a girl's night or whatever it is. But 
it's so important. And again, there's so much evidence that would show if you're not doing that for yourself, I mean, you're going to burn out eventually. And then how does it show up in your communication with either your partner, your friends, your colleagues? How does it show up when you're now in a stressful situation at work and you're already feeling completely overwhelmed and you just don't have any more bandwidth? I mean, we only have so much willpower and energy to disperse throughout the day. So we really need to think about that as a bank account and how much are we spending on other people and then what's left at the end of the day to spend on ourselves. And if there's nothing left in the bank, that's not going to be a sustainable solution. I want to take a moment to circle back to our conversation on how companies can help employees in stressful times. I think we can all agree that it would be ideal if companies can support employees in finding that balance with wellness and work. But what does that actually look like? There are ways to sprinkle this in throughout the day. And I've made this mistake too of thinking that, you know, I need a big chunk of time. And in old days, when we were actually going out and doing things, you know, you'd look at a yoga class, for example, and it'd be like, oh, it's an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, plus the drive time to get there. Plus I have to take time to change. And it's just, it just feels overwhelming. And so you don't go. But in this pandemic, you know, where we're at home and you don't necessarily have to change your clothes or anything to, to go from your, your workspace to your, to your yoga mat or your living room rug, just doing five minutes of any kind of movement. And I've also shifted. I mean, as I've been a competitive athlete my whole life, but I have definitely shifted my perspective on even using the word exercise and shifting that to just talking about movement practice. How have you moved your body today? And for a little while, I was really good about getting up and getting out of the house early. And I'm not a morning person, so I will never do anything aggressive in the morning, like lifting weights or even, even going for a run, but just taking a walk around the block. So less than 10 minutes. And I couldn't believe how much it impacted my mood and the way I felt about starting my day, just getting out the door and walking around for five to 10 minutes and then coming back in. And it's also kind of this escape. It's a, it's a mental escape. And that's the other thing a lot of people have talked about missing. Even if you had a commute that you hated when we were still going to an office, that time in the car on the way to work and on the way from work was transition time. You were able to transition on the way there from your home life to your work life. And on the way home, you were again able to have 20, 30 minutes, maybe longer to let go of the workday and then show, be able to show up for your family when you get home. And that's been missing too. So we also have to get really good at defining our own boundaries and creating those transition zones for ourselves. And it might not be as easy as escaping the house completely. So you have to find ways to do it within the environment that we're we're faced with right now. So doing a five-minute yoga practice, we have a, um, a joint mobility program that we call CARS, which stands for Continuous Articular Rotation Series, that literally takes five minutes. It goes through every joint in your body and just gets a little blood flow and circulation going to each of your joints. And you feel like a new person because we all know, especially as we get a little older, you roll out of bed in the morning and you, you feel stiff and that affects your mood. Like, oh God, I must be getting old. My neck hurts. I slept wrong. Why do I still have this like creaking in my knee? But this little routine, again, five minutes or less, will just get your whole body kind of aligned and set. And you just kind of feel like a new person again. Other things are for the workplace in particular, the home office, just changing your posture throughout the day. So if you're sitting all day long, just think about that kind of stagnancy of, of your body 
your heart rate, your breathing, everything is kind of settling, settling, settling. You're almost becoming part of your chair. And so that is going to have an impact on your, your mental capacity too, and your focus and your attentiveness. You don't have to stand all day long, but take your laptop and move over to a kitchen counter for one of your conference calls. Lean on the counter, stand, it doesn't matter, but just do something a little bit different. Lie on the floor, get in a beanbag, just change your position throughout the day, change your perspective, maybe even change your environment if you can. And it will kind of start to wake things up both in your body and in your mind. So those are the little things that you can do that don't require a lot of planning, any kind of, you know, change of outfit or any cost really. But that's the kind of stuff that we try to impress upon people to to put into their day. And we all know that trying to make behavior changes is difficult. So starting with something small and in a short period of time and making the goal that you do it, I don't know, two or three days a week to start, maybe even once. Let's, let's say once this week, take three of your conference calls standing or from a position other than sitting in your chair that just starts to open your mind to possibility. You're like, oh, well, I could do this for longer. Or, oh, maybe I'll look on Amazon and get one of those stand-up desk things that goes up and down. You know, they're like a couple hundred bucks. Oh, maybe I could find a shoe box that came or an Amazon box that came, set my laptop on it and make it eye level for myself when I'm standing so that my neck doesn't hurt because I'm looking down. You know, there's just all these little things that you can do that really do have a big impact on how you feel throughout your day. All of Danielle's tips may seem simple, but they can have a large impact through simple things like meditation, yoga, or just movement, as she calls it. Only five minutes of movement. It can transform the rest of your day. Something on this show that I've discussed before is how unexpectedly employees' productivity levels have jumped during the pandemic in a remote atmosphere. An unfortunate consequences of employees suddenly going remote is that the lines between work and life have blurred even more. We weren't necessarily prepared to draw boundaries when we were living and working in the same place overnight. And while the pandemic didn't create this challenge of work-life boundary setting, it perhaps illuminated that we are entering a new phase of work-life blending as I like to say, and that left unchecked can result in a decreased productivity despite increased hours worked. Leaders cannot just leave it up to their employees to figure it out in this new landscape. They need to be proactive in helping define what is acceptable and promote wellness for the sake of their organizational success in the end. Danielle discusses ways to ensure companies can implement and sustain holistic wellness programs. I'll share with you something that I learned from our training lead, who's an expert in adult education. And she said to me, you know, the the best way to get buy-in from employees is to have leadership lead by example. So if you have leaders who are engaged in a step challenge, for example, or a blocking, you know, from noon to one on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we want people to take that time for wellness and whatever that means to you, whether it's making a meal that you'll have leftovers for the rest of the week and you don't have to worry about cooking, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's getting on YouTube and finding a yoga class or trying something new, whether it's just calling a friend, 
whatever wellness means to you, you know, something like that, but really sticking to it and having leaders kind of call people out on it. It's like, wait, I noticed that you have a call um, from 12 to one on Wednesday. That's supposed to be protected wellness time. And I don't know if there are things that you can do in, in, uh, in the tech, in the IT world where you can actually prevent people from scheduling meetings at certain times, because that would be pretty cool. <laughs> a little message pops up that says like, nope, sorry, you're not allowed to do work during this time. <laughs> Um, that would be pretty great. But but I think leadership has to lead by example. And, you know, I'll say my my boss right now never emails me after 5 p.m., never emails me on the weekends. And it makes me think twice before I do that too. It really does have to come from the top and be enforced and, and obviously enforced in a way that's like, hey, we're, we're trying to help you here. And we believe that you're going to be able to get your work done, even if we give you these, you know, three hours, or maybe it's 30 minutes every day where you're going to be off doing something that we know is not work-related, God forbid, um, <laughs> but I'm going to be doing it too. And I, I think challenges sometimes can be helpful or awarding points for people. I have a few employees right now who are doing really well on a, a rewards program and they always remind us like, hey, if you eat a vegetable today, you get 100 kazoo points. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> I need to be uh, tapping into that. That's fantastic. So some some people respond to that kind of thing, but it it is a huge barrier. And it's, it's one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face in trying to help corporations implement these wellness ideas is to figure out how you get people to shut down because they've been so conditioned, especially over this last year. Like you said, Jennifer, and I totally agree with you that I would not equate working more hours to more productivity. I mean, that's like, I could say I spent an hour reading, but I could read the same three lines over and over again because my mind keeps wandering. I mean, how many of us have done that? That's not a productive hour of reading. That's just an hour. <laughs> Shifting our, our perspective on what we call productivity and understanding some of the science behind this too, that you, do you know your your focus and attention actually increases when you just when you go from sitting to standing? Like that's there's true physiological things that happen. Your insulin sensitivity actually changes when you go from sitting to standing. You get better at metabolism. Like things change when the body moves, and things change that would also impact your ability to focus, be attentive, and then therefore be productive. Also, I mean, how much productivity can you do when you're really just feeling? sleep deprived and worried about what's happening next and how you're going to get everything done and how you're going to balance your your home activities and your work activities if we can truly create those those boundaries and that space to take care of ourselves first we're going to be better employees i mean there's there's no doubt about that again it really has to come from the leadership and there has to be an approach that gives employees the time you can't just say we're going to offer this and figure out when you're going to do it. It has to be, you know, we're carving out time. This is a priority. This is one of our values. Like how great would that be to start to see companies put employee health as one of their values? That's really the goal. That's where we want to get to. And if nothing else, I mean, in this last year, we've seen, again, just how important health is. And I was reading one influencer in the health space. He said, what a missed opportunity this was in the last year that instead of focusing on kind of the fear and the uncertainty and like, we better get as much done as we can because we don't know how long things are going to be like this. What if we has instead shifted to, wow, now seems like a really great time to look at how we're taking care of ourselves and how we're preparing ourselves and our bodies and our workforce to be resilient against a virus like coronavirus. You know, let's start looking at people's 
physical activity, their nutrition, how can we support them better in this way? So that's where I would really love to see us coming out of this is what's the, you know, I would say, if you're really challenged with something, the first thing you should be asking rather than getting, you know, get frustrated, get angry. We have to experience the full spectrum of emotions, but then can you pause and say, what was this trying to teach us? And I think that's where this last year of the pandemic, if you can pause and ask yourself that question and really sit with that question and come up with some answers, you're going to realize that there is a reason that this happened. And there is something that we are supposed to learn from it. And if we can figure out what that lesson is for us, for our workforce, for our companies, for our families, for humankind, (laughs) then we're going to be able to move forward even stronger and more productive and more happy and healthier. But if we just continue to get angry or stay frustrated or just stay in this kind of fixed mindset of now what? This is the new normal. It's not really. I mean, we can create what the future looks like for us, but we need to take the lessons that we've learned over this last year and then apply them. And with our health in particular, you know, that's the biggest lesson. I'll nerd out for one second here because I just saw this this paper come out yesterday. Um, and I would encourage everyone to read it. It was a study by Kaiser Permanente. And they actually measure exercise as a vital sign in all of their patients that are in their system. So they were able to do a study on looking at patients over the two years before the pandemic, dividing them up into people who were physically inactive, moderately active, or were meeting the guidelines of 150 minutes of physical activity a week or more. And then looking at those for those people who were infected with coronavirus, what their outcomes were. And they showed that physical inactivity was an independent predictor of hospitalization and death from COVID. Independent of obesity, independent of hypertension, all these other things that we know are comorbid conditions, but simply being physically inactive was an independent predictor of someone dying from COVID-19. So if that isn't a wake-up call for us, if that isn't one of the answers to what were we supposed to learn from this, it's we've got to be more focused on movement, on mindfulness, on nutrition, and the way we take care of our bodies to be able to move forward and live long, healthy, happy, and productive lives. Much of what Danielle is touching on reminds me of an article I read recently about the impact of even small breaks during video meetings, during the day, etc. A study done by Microsoft's Human Factors Lab found that Sitting in back-to-back meetings without breaks can lead to a measurable buildup in the brain of stress-related beta waves. Even taking short, small breaks can significantly decrease your brain's level of stress. We've linked articles to the study in the show notes. I came from, before I was in industry, I worked, my research was in um, diabetes and obesity and metabolism. And uh, some of my good friends have done studies on glucose regulation and the impact of taking small breaks throughout the day. And it has just as much impact, if not more, on being able to sensitize your body to using insulin and using glucose effectively. But we all have this idea in our heads that like, oh, well, I have to go out and run for 20 or 30 minutes, or I have to go to an hour cardio session at the gym. But you know, we're learning more and more. And there and there's benefit to those things as well, by the way. I mean, there's certainly benefits to having your heart rate up for a longer period of time for, for cardiovascular fitness. But 
do what we can right now, right? And again, sort of, you know, taking a, a slow on-ramp to changing our behaviors, those small breaks throughout the day, to your point, are incredibly helpful mentally and physically. Well, I could talk to Danielle all day long about ideas around well-being and work-life blending. I wanted to ask if there's anything she would like to impart before we wrap up today. All of this for me boils down to just being open to what's happening around us. And and I've tried very hard in the last year to not succumb to the kind of fear-based communications that have been coming from the media and even some people around me who are a little anxious and, and everyone responds to this differently. And I think the fear is warranted in some cases, but it's not helpful. So some of what I did over the last year too, in addition to my Instagram watercolor painting <laughs> class was, um, you know, just doing some internal work around how do I want to respond to things like what's happened in the last year and what skills and tools do I need to develop to be able to respond well? And I mean, people who've known me my whole life will tell you I'm very fiery and I can still be very fiery. I'm a Scorpio and I believe that there's, there's something to that. <laughs> it's been a lesson and it's been some hard lessons for me to learn how to balance that. And I think I shared with you a story recently where I was in a, a conversation with somebody that I didn't know very well. And, and it was a, a workplace conversation. And I found myself just like feeling very frustrated in the conversation to the point where I could feel kind of my body temperature going up and my muscles were tensing. And rather than kind of, you know, say what I was maybe thinking at that time, I took a moment and I was like, why do I feel like this right now? Like, what is it about this conversation that is bothering me? You know, am I concerned because I don't know the answers to this? Am I concerned because I feel like this person is trying to, you know, impart their opinions on me and isn't asking me my opinion? You know, so it was really helpful to just kind of go through that process and just remember that, you know, our, again, our reaction to situations is the only thing we have control over. And if we can work a little bit more to have that control, that's also going to keep our stress levels low. It's going to make us better communicators. It's going to make us more effective at being solution-oriented and being able to offer suggestions like we talked about today to say, you know, I think the, the team is feeling really stressed lately and we've really been working hard. I suggest that we create space for them each week to not have any calls and to take that time to do something related to wellness, you know, and and take all of the observations that you're making instead of getting, you know, upset and frustrated and they're making us work too hard and all I'm, I'm just on calls every day and I have all these emails. I mean, those are facts. Those are facts that can't be changed. You are on calls all, every day, all day. You have a million emails in your inbox and you have, you know, certain things that have to get done. Those are facts. But what's the part that we can control? We can control how we respond to that deluge of, of information and, and asks of us. And we always have options. So I guess, you know, my, my big takeaway there is the more we can work on just being aware of our surroundings, our emotions, our reactions to things before we actually react, and then being open to asking, you know, what is this trying to teach me? What am I supposed to learn from this? If you can come away, and I do believe you can come away with something in every situation that you can learn from it. If we start to do that more and more, then that will make us more holistic in a way because we're, we're utilizing the skills that we already have inside of us and we're not depending or relying on anything external to change our lives. So 
even when it comes to wellness and we say, yeah, it'd be great if companies would create space and time and boundaries for individuals to have these wellness interventions at work. You know, at the end of the day, we can't depend on that and that that's going to happen. I'm certainly going to help and try to make sure that that happens. But if it doesn't, we still need a solution. So figuring out how we can do this for ourselves is going to be of paramount importance. That's great. Well said. So how can companies or people or individuals reach out to you and learn more? Um, well, right now we can, um, they can reach me at Danielle at chealthcoach.com. So it's the letter C healthcoach.com. We have a website right now. And again, because this is sort of a side business, kind of something that we're still developing and figuring out how we can best help people with this, our website probably looks right now a little bit more catering towards individual mentoring and coaching, but we are definitely pivoting to wanting to help organizations more. And a big piece of that is the ripple effect. I mean, if we can, start with you know a, a, an HR division and a company that can then spread that to their culture and keep that going even long after they're working with us. I mean, that's really the ultimate goal for us is that we want to see more people uh, able to be helped. So our website is chealthcoach.com. Again, that's the letter C, healthcoach.com. And you can contact us through that as well. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm always interested, willing to talk to people about this topic and um, mindfulness in particular. My business partner, his name is Ramez Antoon, and he's a physical therapist and an amazing student of movement. He's done a million different certifications and, and formal training, but he also just lives and breathes this stuff and is you'll never find anyone more passionate about movement than he is. And his claim to fame for me one, he was a student of mine when I worked at uh, UMass Lowell. So the student became the teacher and now we're we're working together, which is a cool story. Uh, but the reason we even reconnected was I was supposed to go into a shoulder surgery after an injury from, um, from weightlifting and, and CrossFit. And I was terrified. And I talked to all of my old students who were physical therapists now. And they said, oh, you got to go to Ramez. And he uh, kept me out of the operating room with some amazing physical therapy and movement practices that I continue to this day. And he just like re-educated me on what our bodies need. I can't, I just can't say enough about him and his perspective on all of this. So the two of us together, he kind of is the director of movement and I'm the director of mindfulness prescription, but we we believe that the future of healthcare is movement and mindfulness as prescriptions. Great. And I guess he brings the male point of view in too, right? To offset your female. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I'm, I'm still working on that. And it, it would be great if we were more open to letting men talk about the things that are bothering them too, because I, I think that one of the reasons we have had this slant that we've had in, in some of the gender disparities um, in health too, is we haven't really been very open and accepting to hearing men talk about, especially some of the mental anguish that they face. Brene Brown talks about this a lot, again, in her in her vulnerability and shame research. There are huge differences in societal acceptance of hearing men talk about shame and guilt and disgrace and just being vulnerable in general. So I hope that we get to that place where everyone who's feeling anything and needs to talk to someone feels like they're going to be uh, accepted and not judged. And that is absolutely our approach is we are completely non-judgmental. Again, I mean, I've 
made my fair share of mistakes in my life and have a wonderful circle of friends who've just been there every single time unconditionally. And and I do the same for people. So we want to help everybody, (laughs) not just women. (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the time today. And I, I really appreciate you coming out and talking to our listeners who I think probably could take some real value from what they've heard today. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.